sizes of clothes for children, not just children in this church, but children in the community uh, that are not as, as fortunate as some of the rest of us. And so if you would like, as you work your way out in the next couple of weeks, to uh, stop by just right at the door as you go out and grab a hold of a card and then uh, bring it back into the church here, put it back under the tree, and it will get to the right people. Three o'clock today, we'll be decorating the church. For annual, we do that every year. Usually a lot of people show up, help decorate the church. Try to show up at three o'clock today for the annual decoration of the church. Uh, always need a lot of help for that, so please come back. Or you don't even have to leave. You can go in and help with them kids. <laughs> also, there's going to be a candlelight service on Christmas Eve at 9 o'clock. Uh, we'll have it on the sign out there, but it'll be at 9 o'clock on Christmas Eve. We'll be doing a candlelight service here. And, of course, next week's the dinner and the... Uh, play if you haven't seen the kids put on a play i'm telling you uh they're they're a wonderful thing to watch there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of hard work <laughs> and they'll be here for from till three o'clock this afternoon working with those kids uh yeah i won't be here but they'll be here they're they're truly something else um happy anniversary again for me who was here the first sunday a year ago uh, seven years ago today Quite a few of you. Yeah, it's been an amazing ride, hasn't it? It's has been, been an amazing ride, what God's, what God's done here. Uh, some of you that are visitors, the, the, the reason, I try to preach this sermon, I'm not going to preach the sermon I usually preach, I don't think I did it last year either, but, it, but we'll be touching on how the church got its name, what that means in little parts of the sermon. Uh, one of the reasons we're here, one of the reasons you get sermons every week is because I love journals, and a lot of, most of you know, who knows about journals? I know a lot of you, I've given journals to a lot of you, and some of you write them, and some of them, they just got dust all over them, and I know that. Uh, God knows that, and, and that's okay. Uh, but I've got a, I wanted to pass out some journals because of our anniversary. Will somebody come up here? I've got about uh, six of them here. Luke, come on up here. Crystal, and we, who wants a journal? Don't take one, just get it dusty. Yeah, I'll let Luke have a couple of them there, or Jacob there. But grab these journals. They're, they, they're your prayer journals. Uh, I've filled up, I don't know how many, I don't know, I think I've told you a few weeks ago, I've filled up, I don't, know, I don't know how many I've got back there, 11 or 13 or something like that. I used to go through a journal a year, mine's a little thicker. I used to go through a journal a year, and I'm just about out of pages on the journal for this year because I'm just about out of days. Isn't it amazing how fast time fast goes? Um, I'm not going to be in a hurry today, so if you're in a hurry, I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm just not. Um, I'll do the best I can, but I'm not in a hurry. We have a baptism today. Jacob right here is getting baptized today. It's 50 months in a row also around here. What a blessing God gives us to the church. Every week we stand and we read a couple, we read a verse or so and then uh, we've been doing that the last several weeks and I enjoy that as the, as the congregation stands and reads a verse. This week it's out of, uh, what is it, out of 1 Corinthians 7.10. So our 2 Corinthians 7.10. If you would stand, let's read that. For godly sorrow.
For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Just stand for a second. For, gar- for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. That means that when you come to the Lord, that heart is not coming because somebody else is telling you to come, but because God's telling you to do. And you actually, for the first time in your life, maybe, you know that you're not good enough to make it. You have, you have understood through the Holy Spirit that you're not good enough to make it to heaven. You're not even good enough to be living. But, but we have a Savior that loves us so much that he implants that in our heart and it changes the roughest and toughest of hearts. It changes the most passive of hearts. It changes us to become something that we could never imagine that we could be. So for godly sorrow produces repentance. Godly sorrow, a sorrow that you now know who this king of kings is. You're starting to grab a glimpse of it. And it leads to your salvation. Not to be regretted. I've never regretted it. Amen? I don't regret my salvation. I don't regret the Holy Spirit doing these things in my life. But the sorrow of the world produces what? That's your pride they're talking about. In other words, you got sorry. I hear a lot of people, especially when I go visit the jails and things, they're so sorry they're on the wrong side of the glass. <laughs> they're so sorry that something's going on in their life, that they, that they did something. They're so sorry because they got caught. Because they got caught. And it's interfering with their lives. That's a, that's a worldly sorrow. It doesn't produce salvation. It just produces pride, self-arrogance, self-indulgence. This is something totally different. So you can be seated. You got, I got all the medicines up here. I've had them up here every year for this Sunday. Um, as I was getting ready for this week and, and praying, praying, praying over the sermon because I know this sermon so well and I've preached it more sermons than any sermon I've ever preached in my life. Uh, I had two words that God would not let me get away with. It just kept pounding on my heart this week. One of them was lethargic and one of them was pit, uh, pathetic. And uh, I kept, well, why? Lord, that is not, that is not, you know, we got this our anniversary, Lord. <laughs> you want me to come in here and preach lethargic and pathetic? And I told Vicki, she said, well, that'd be sweet. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know. I've been trying my best not to do this. Uh, but uh, it's not, you know, the ones that out here that, that, that are living their lives right, according to God's word, not according to your thoughts or plans, you're fine. You're not going to squim and squam and whatever. But the ones that are, are living, that do not know God, are living your lives with things you're trying to hide you will and you're lethargic because you've become lazy to God and your faith is pathetic you're just pathetic and I tell you that because I love you because I know one day you're going to go see a, a God and if you don't know him now you will then Some of us go through life, and this is pretty much it. Hurry up, preacher. 
is he ever going to shut up? Come on, preacher, get going. Don't you know I got better things to do? Football, one o'clock. I think I'll go to the bathroom. I can waste some time out there. Yeah, I have to get up if I do that. Better than sitting here listening to this guy. I don't even understand what he's saying anyway. He looks like an idiot. All these people are stupid. What, what am I even doing here? I don't know. <laughs> Why am I here? Maybe, maybe what this idiot's saying is not so dumb. Maybe I ought to pay attention just a little bit. I'll give him, I'll give him, I'll give him, I'll give you 30 seconds, preacher. And I'm going to be watching my watch. Lethargic attitudes will take you to hell. I don't want to get to heaven and not see you. I don't want to get to heaven and not see you. Not see my friends, my family. I don't want to do that. I want to, I'm going to be okay with it because everything's perfect. And I'll know that you had the opportunities to change. God opened up this church for. And he gave me the name The Crossing because of all this medicine. And I'll tell you about it in a few minutes. How many of you know about my health issues and all that? How many of you know why we got the name of the church The Crossing? There's a lot of you that don't know. And then before I get started, I'm going to tell you real quick so I can get on with the sermon. I was sick for many years. Buddy and John Donna and several Beckingdale and several of them know, know that I was sick, very sick. Uh, somebody told me they were just arrayed. Just told me this morning or slept in a chair for a couple months. I slept in a chair for five months because I couldn't quit coughing. I coughed 24-7. Uh, they, they, they had two specialists, two lung specialists dealing with me. I was a Methodist all the time, in and out, in and out, going to uh, different types of things, surgery thing for this and lung and that. And, this. and the thing was that uh, nobody could find anything wrong with me. And, all the, and they, this is just a little bit of the mess in the shots. There were numerous shots. My body had swelled up pretty big and, uh, from all the prednisone and all the steroids and all kinds of stuff. And um, so for five months, this particular year, I'd been sick with this earlier in, in different years, but this year was, got the, was the worst. It was in 2008 and 2009 in the winter, in the fall of 2008, in the winter of 2009. And so sleeping in that chair because I couldn't, slip, I couldn't lay down, and of course Vicky sleeps in the bed with me, and, and I, it, it sh she just kicked me out. <laughs> and I don't blame her because I couldn't quit coughing. So I would go to the chair downstairs, 
in the wood burners down there and I'd put my headphones on and I listened to Third Day. That's why I love Third Day so much. I, I listened to them. They put me to, they didn't really put me to sleep. I just passed out. When finally, sometime in the middle of the night, after I finally just so exhausted, I would pass out for a few hours. And then get back up and go to work, cough my fool head off. Never, I'm talking, never stop coughing. <laughs> John, am I telling the truth? Uh, and that went on at this particular time for five months, 24-7. And uh, I was preaching and teaching and doing the things I do and thought I was doing everything the way God wanted me to, but yet why, why was I so sick? What was going on? Well, I needed so much medication that none of it was working. Of course, you know how doctors are. I love them to death, and what, but... They'll give you one pill and it don't work. They give you another pill. And then, then all of a sudden you've got all these pills and they're all coming together and all the side effects are just drive you crazy. And uh, so finally after, the, after five months, I had a real knockout battle with God. And uh, it wasn't nothing serious. I wasn't sinning, although in a, in a matter of way I was because I wasn't paying attention to what God wanted for me, where he was trying to take me. And uh, as I fought with God one Sunday night, I clearly understood that night that he wanted me to take care of myself. And he said, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, I'll tell you what, it didn't make any sense to me either, but that's what was in my heart. And when God put that in my heart, I kept on coughing until the next morning. I got up early the next morning. I went to the YMCA, and I joined the YMCA. I hired a personal trainer. And the poor little lady thought I was absolutely nut because I told her I had to be there because God wants me here. She's not a believer. She thinks I'm insane. She hears me coughing. I said, if I don't get in here, I'm going to die. I said, I just, I got to be here. So uh, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm going to hire you. At, we're going to be here at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to work with you for an hour every five days a week. And we'll see what happens. I walked out of her office and I quit coughing. I never coughed again. Now, do you? Okay. You put on the hat and say, well, that's just the way life is. Some people get lucky, don't they? You can sit there and just be apathetic about it. Well, good for you, preacher. It wasn't about me. It never was. It was about a person that says he loves God to be obedient to what God's called him to do. And it's a few months later I start writing. I start writing all these sermons and I write The Crossing. And it's based on crossing the Jordan River, which what we'll talk about a little bit today with some other things. It's based on being obedient to God because he's got so much planned for you. I should not be here. There's no reason for me to be here except that a loving God reached out to a loving town that people were praying for. And I'm here. And I plan on being here till God removes me, either by death or some other place. But I'll be here. We have a loving God that loves you. And he loves your prayers and he answers your prayers. And I'm telling you, he answers your prayers through people. Sometimes through miracles, as he did mine. 
but he answers your prayers through people and through people's hands, through people's eyes, through people's love. He answers your prayers. He answers people that are sick through medicines and through doctors, sometimes miraculously like me. But he answers. And sometimes the answers are no, and sometimes they're yes. But he always answers. Amen? The other side. Now, if I look, at, look out here in this crowd and I say there's the Jordan River right down the middle, right down the middle, and I look over here, sorry people over here, you're just going to be the wilderness today, sorry. Uh, you have to be the wilderness because the cross is over here. And I got to go towards that cross. So you're the wilderness. Sorry, Brad, wilderness. You guys are in the promised land. Say, yeah! Yeah, promised land. That's where you are. Now I want you to do me a favor. Everybody on this side, I want you to look over on that side. They're not where you are. <laughs> that creates a problem. Now, I was over there for many years. Because I, I, what, the reason they're over there is because they were obedient to God. God gave them a task. He gave them every information they needed to cross the Jordan, and he gave them the time frame. He told them exactly what to do, when to do it, and all the information about himself in two years when they come across the, the Red Sea. And they refused to do it. They were scared. They feared. They sent out spies that, that brought back more fear, except for just a couple of guys, Caleb and, and Joshua. And so they refused to go across. And God was very angry. Does God have attitude? You'll hear that in a principal day if I even get to him. Does God have attitude? Yeah, he does. You know what his attitude is? Love. It's love. He has an attitude of love. He doesn't have any other attitude but love. Now, you may look at his attitude of love and think, boy, God's got an attitude today. It's of love. That's all he has is love. These people over here, on the wilderness side, for the next 38 years, a total of 40 years, they stayed over there. Now, I thought about this, and I've preached this so many times, and I thought about it. I knew that God, God refused. He was not going to let them cross. He made that known to, them, known to them. They tried to cross a little while after, they, after God told them to, and a bunch of them got killed, and they ran tail and head back because God said, you're not crossing. And I want to let, I've told you this many times. I want to let you know something. You don't cross unless God's inviting you to cross. Amen? You don't come to your salvation unless God's inviting you. It's not, it's not something you just thought of. You want to get a wrong salvation, that's, that's a, when you come, try to come to God and some other reason that the Holy Spirit's calling you, that's a wrong salvation. It's God calling you. And when he calls you, you know it. You'll know it in your heart. You'll know it from the deepest part of your soul. You may fight it. You may try to ignore it. But you still know it. You still know it. You know how I know? I knew because we all go through the same thing. Even an atheist knows. They're just so prideful and hard-headed, they don't want to know. So for the next 38 years, they're going to be over in this wilderness. And I thought about, you know, why in that 38 period, all I see if I, as I read and understand the scriptures is, is they were on a roller coaster ride. They would, they would complain to God, and then they would love God, and they would complain to God. It was over and over and over again. 
Why didn't they ever in that 38 period time frame beg God to let them cross again? I don't read that in the scriptures. They just, they completely gave up. They came lethargic and pathetic. They gave up. Now their, their family, their kids, anybody 20 and under would be able to cross after everybody died off, except for Caleb and Joshua, they would be able to cross with them. When we get to lethargic to God's word, we get pathetic to God, don't we? That's why it's so important to be in the church, to be under leadership that wants to teach you about the word of God, that wants to love you, that wants to show you truth. God's plan is to take his children out of the wilderness and plant them on the other side. You say, well, that, that was back then. You know what? I knew when I crossed the Jordan, I was just not being obedient. And God opened up the time. He opened up that moment, that Sunday night, and he said, I want you to do something you've never done before. I want you to take care of yourself. Now, I didn't know the plan, because I didn't eat right. I didn't exercise. I never exercised a day in my life. You people are nuts. Going to that gym early in the morning. What? Get up at 4 o'clock and start praying? Are you nuts? Are you crazy? Writing a journal for what reason? See, the thing about faith is once you understand you don't have to know what you're doing, why you're doing it, you just got to do it, you're going to start going a long way. Amen? You just, faith is, I, you don't have to know what's going to happen. You just know that God said do it. You look through the Bible, you'll, you'll see what that faith is all the way through it. So over here they wouldn't cross, and over here they did cross, and over here, you know what happens when you cross? The battles start. Over here, you pick every morning that God still takes care of you, the man is still coming. He's still taking care of you, isn't he? Because you're children of God. He's still taking care of you. But you're not getting the blessings and the love of, the total love and the total blessings and the truth of God that he wants to give you because you're in a pathetic attitude, in a pathetic life, living where you're not belong. You belong over here. In the Jordan, over here, across the Jordan. He's going to open it up for you. He's like, wait a minute, I don't understand any of this. Well, neither did I. But I understood something. When, I, when he told me to get obedient with him and stay obedient with him, my life changed even more than it had changed before. And a few months later, poof, the crossing. Something I never wanted to do. That meant giving up Everything. Just a... Why? Because God had a different calling than what I had planned. I was fine just teaching and preaching and doing whatever. I just, that, that's fine with me. Why in the world would you want to do something that would cost you so much? It's not a pride thing. I've owned a business for 40 years. I've hired and fired many people. I give raises, take raises away. It's not, I can do that. I can have all that pride with the business. I don't need that. It was a love thing. It was a love thing for people that I don't know, for people I still don't know, for people that are going to come through. And one of the lovest things I have is to know that when people come through here and they do accept the Lord, that he's not done with you. There's another river to cross, and that river takes you where God wants you to go. The miracle of Parting those waters of the Jordan was every bit of a miracle as parting the waters of the Red Sea. You just never hear about the Jordan being parted. Not a big army coming after him at the time. 
But he, did, he parted that, red, that Jordan, that river, at a high time of water, when the water was high, he parted it on dry ground and they crossed. He doesn't want you stuck in the mud. He doesn't want you getting dirty. He's our God. He doesn't want you striving to strive everything you've got to get across. He makes it simple for us. But he says, cross when I say. And as I crossed the Jordan, everything started falling to place. But then he'll ask you many things. The battles will come and the battles start on this side of the Jordan. This side of the Jordan. You say, well, I got a lot of battles over here. Most of your battles over here are because of your self-centeredness. But when you get over here and you start to leave the self alone, and over here you start becoming that servant of God, the battles with the world and the flesh and all that take place. This is when the battles to take all the promised land, that promised land was out there, and God said, it's yours, but you've got to take it. Amen? It's yours. You've got to take it. In other words, you've got to prepare yourselves. You've got to prepare yourselves for battle. So as we cross that Jordan, the battle started. And, and to be honest with you, this, this, this church has not been a real battle for me. God has been merciful. But some of the people that come through here have been real battles. <laughs> I'm just here, I'm telling you, it's been, it's been some real battles. And some of the, the, the tragedies and the disasters and the things that have taken place, they've been real battles. They, they just have. And as we go through it, the battles come. But we learn to turn them over to God. When disaster strikes, try not to let it carry you away, but instead look to the plan God has to offer. When the disaster of the sickness happened to me, for the first five months, I looked at the sickness. And I griped and I complained and I yelled and this, that, and the other because I was looking at the sickness the symptom of what was going on instead of trying to focus upon why it was going on, the plan God had behind it. And when God took my focus off of this and put it on him, things change. The storm you find yourself in can be the very thing God is using to design your life. To design your life. To, to design your life. If it wasn't for the sickness, I wouldn't be here. Do you, you get that? Uh-uh. It's not going to happen. But because of that, because he had a design, a perfect design for my life that would involve all of you and many, many more, he allowed that to take place so I would see his design and cross the Jordan when he told me to. And that's why the church is called the crossing because I realized that day when I walked out of there and quit coughing, and I said, I'm not coughing. I'm not coughing. To me, that was a big deal. To me, that was my life. Because I wasn't coughing. What changed to keep me from coughing? It was that act of obedience. You say, you got lucky. No, I didn't. I finally let my heart and my head come together <laughs> and I, I heard what God wanted. Amen? Some of you are going through things. I don't know what it is and I don't know how, I can't tell you. But I can tell you, if you dig deep into the word of truth, you'll find every answer you need. 
So the storm you find yourself in can be the very thing God is using to design your life. The Christian who continues to refuse escape from the wilderness can become lethargic in their faith, leading to a pathetic faith. Your passion for Christ is the evidence of the jubilation in your heart. Amen? You have a passion for Christ. You know, I, I, I see so many Christians and, and they don't have, especially older ones, we don't have a whole lot of old ones here, but they don't have a passion for Christ. I mean, they may have had, but it seems like when you're talking to them about things and you want to talk them, then it's like, what's he saying? Is he talking to me? You're lying. You're just lying. Nobody has that kind of passion. No, I've never had it. Uh-uh. How many of you see people, preachers, Christians like that? Preachers like, how many of you seen it? You walk into church and it's, what are you doing here? You want to come in? I'm going to talk to you. Get out of here. Well, it may not be that like that, but it's pretty much like that. What are you dressed like that for? Preacher up there in blue jeans? What are you dressed like that for? They've got a passion for legalism and not a passion for love. There's a difference. Which side? Which side are you on? Which, which side are you on? Or which side are you on? And, and I'm telling you, you're on one side or the other. Some of you, you're still over in Egypt. Some of you have never got across the Red Sea, which represents salvation. You're still over there dealing in the sin of the world. If the grass is greener, is the grass greener on the other side? Yeah, how many times you guys heard that? And everybody says, no, it's not greener on the other side. Well, this time it is. <laughs> this time, the grass is greener over here in Jordan, okay? This is where God gets to the promised land. It's the land of milk and honey. This time, the grass is greener on the other side. There will be battles, of course. And spiritual laziness motivates no one, amen? What's spiritual laziness? I put my hat back on. That's spiritual laziness. It mo- how, how, much of, how many times have your friends been motivated by your spiritual laziness? It motivates nobody. It does nothing. Lethargic faith is pathetic, offering to a wonderful God. We've got all kinds of kids coming back in here. Your choice is being made each day, the wilderness of the promised land. Each day as you get out of that bed, as you start to prepare for your day, you can make that choice. Promised land or back in the wilderness Does God have attitude? Yep, it's a love attitude. And does God say no? Yes, he does. But he loves to say yes. He'll never say yes until you're obedient to what he's trying to take you. Go ahead, please. I come to Joshua 24. It's it's starting to be the end of Joshua's life. They've been through the battles. They're on the promised land. And Joshua was an older man when he crossed. I think he was between 80 and 90 years old. And he was the, Moses had died now. And Joshua had taken over, and they've gone through many, many different battles. And Joshua comes to this, these few verses here. And, the, and, of course, verse 15 is a remarkable verse. When we get to it, most of you know verse 15. I'm going to hit on that a little bit. And he comes to this, and he's talking to the people because of all the battles. And, 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 and they, once they got across there and they allowed God to be the God of their lives, these battles, when when the battles were fought with God, in one battle, in the battle of Ea, they did not fight with God. They kind of did it on their own, and they got beat up real bad. And that was the, they learned their lesson off that one. 
But every battle, when it was fought with God, it was won by God. It wasn't, it wasn't them trying to fight that battle on their own. It was fought with God and won by God. Everyone. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. And you fought with. And you fought, and they fought with you. Thank you, God. Appreciate that one. I brought you on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. Well, you know, we hear about the cross, pick up the cross and all that, right? And that's when everybody thinks everything's hunky-dory. Tell me, it is not hunky-dory. That's when the world becomes your enemy. That's when Satan really becomes your enemy. That's when your friends and your family realize there's a change in your life and they become something that they weren't before. And you're going to lose your friends. You're going to lose family members. You're going to lose all these things. But you do it in the name of Christ. Battles. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land. Who gave it to them? Who gave God... Who, gave, who, who allowed this church to start? God. He did. It was, I did very little, actually. I just kind of sat back and thought, huh, this is amazing. This is real amazing. I just pray for a person or a, a position, and there it is. I pray for the money, and there it is. I pray for whatever the position, there it is. People coming off the streets, coming in here when, before we ever opened, wanting to help. People I don't know their names, I don't know, but they're coming. One after another. I looked up one day when we was building the stage. There's people building the stage. I don't know who these people are. I'm not, where they come from? God. Amen? God. God. In three months, we had the Sunday school classes open. You remember that, Bill? Three months. Not one class, but all of them. All of them. All the kids' classes open. Three months. In the seventh week, I couldn't figure out how to get people to join the church and, or to be a part of the church. Who was going to stay? Who was going to leave? Who can you depend on? I've got to know who. I've got to know who's going to depend on it. You know, I love it. Everybody's here, but, you know, are you going to be here a month? Are you going to be here a week? Are you going to be here? Or is this it? And uh, I brought out that rope that you'll see over any other place. And some of you don't know what that rope is. You'll see it. It's over there. And I brought out that rope. And, and as I asked God, how do you get people to join the church? And, and then one Saturday, he told me to cut a bunch of ropes the same length. He said, how do you know that? Because it, that's what I did. It's how do I know anything what God's doing? I just know it. It comes in my heart. And I get this thought. And, and I pray over it. And boom, I cut all these ropes the same length. And I take that one long, long rope and I throw it down the hall. And I say, whoever wants to be part of this church, come and tie up on this rope. They, they was out the door that day. I forget, I think it was 55 people joined that day, seven weeks when the crossing opened. That doesn't happen in any church. We did again in seven more weeks and 35 more people joined. And they continued to do. I don't, I, I don't really, I'm not like a lot of other pastors and churches. I, I don't try to dictate, I, try to, I don't micromanage anything. I try to let God do everything. You people know what to do. Either you do it or it doesn't happen. Amen? You teams that are slacking, it's because of you, not because of God. God will give you anything. 
He'll bless this church completely and always if you will be obedient. Amen? If you live through his word. If you don't, he won't. It's that simple. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land and I destroyed them before you. Why is Joshua repeating all this? Because we need these things repeated to us. I need to hear God's word. I don't care how many times I've read the Bible or how many times I study. I need to continue to hear it because I live in this flesh that wants to forget so easily. I need to know it. I need to have it deep within me. Verse 9, Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam. I'm not going to get involved in Balaam to men, but he's a funny guy. He actually had a fight with a donkey that could talk. Donkey won. You don't believe me? It's in Genesis. It's there. And donkeys talk when God says they talk, and so do snakes when God says they can talk. Because God's God, amen? You say, that's nonsense. Were you there? No, you weren't. Was I there? Nope, I wasn't. But I'll believe this, because it's the word of God. In verse 10, but I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued. Balaam tried to curse Israel. He thought he could do that. Of course, he couldn't. And God says, I'm not listening to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. Bless you. I delivered you out of, the, out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Canaanites, the whole bunch of height, height, height. But I delivered them into your hand. What's he, why does he give you all those hard names that I can't pronounce? Because he's wanting to let you know there's nothing. There's nothing he cannot deliver into your hands. There's not a sickness. There's not an enemy. There's not anything that God can't deliver to you. Nothing. Nothing can hold back God from you except you. Except you. You say, well, I don't really get all this stuff. And I, I was saved years ago, but I don't ever understand that passion and all that. I don't understand that stuff. It's because you're over here in the wilderness and you've failed to recognize when God's calling you to get over where he wants you to be into the real battles, into the real understanding of who God is. You say, well, how does that work? Well, start with prayer and then head to the next Bible study and keep going. Amen? Never stop, never quit, never stop, never quit. How many times did you hear me say it? God's not a quitter. I love this verse 12. It says, I sent the hornet, and you can find the hornet back in Exodus 28 too, I believe. I sent the hornet, and that, that is what, that's gotten, uh, everybody ever get stung by hornets? They flat out hurt, don't they? So he's using this terminology. I sent the hornet. In other words, he, he's going to send himself because he can do damage. So I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also, the two kings of the Amorites. I tell you what, have you ever in your life uh, had a situation where you just didn't know how it was going to turn out? I mean, it could be the, this is the biggest day of my life. If it goes bad, it's going to be bad. If it goes good, everything's going to be good. And a lot of us go through those things. Some of us more than others, more days than, than I want to talk about sometimes, but some days, back in, back in the old days, when I used to try to 
run my business and, and run it for me more than God, when I would try to hide from the IRS different things I didn't want them to know. And then the first, hey, everybody know about that? Come on, I ain't the only one. Yeah, I guess I'm the only one. Anyway, uh, I thought I was pretty smart. And I, could, uh, I actually learned some, some things on how to hide things from them and get away with it. Uh, I never really got away with it because God would always tell me, I'm not getting a, you're not getting away with this, and, you're, and sooner or later, you're going to give in to me. And I did. And it, cost me, it cost me dearly. But when the time would come, and, and Vicki, God bless her soul there, she would never, uh, she would have said, this is your deal, you deal with it. <laughs> and she was right. I didn't want her dealing with it anyway. Because the woman's not supposed to do that. A lot of times us men make the problems and we ask the women to clean up back behind us. Anybody ever knew that? Yeah, that's true. Women, I'm giving you a plug there. So anyway, I would have to make those phone calls and I knew if I didn't tell the right lie, if I didn't act convincing, that they would find me out. And the problem I had was I always got real humble when I talked to him and real sorry voice, not a prideful voice. And I would always wait and try to find that sweet lady that would be more helpful than a man. And what I'm telling you this for is because you never get away with it. You may for the time. And so that day comes and, and you've got to make that important call and it, it, it completely goes wrong and you say what in the world well God didn't allow those things to go wrong because he wants to laugh at you he's trying to work with you he said work with me here you know work with me figure out why things are going bad there's a reason for it because I'm telling you God's, God has put us in this, in this promised land to bless us and he shows us here I'll give everything to you it will be turned over to you but you've got to do it my way. I sent the hornet before you and drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not, what? Labor. You know, I didn't build this church. I didn't have to come up with the, with the finances of it, uh, uh, the building of it, and I tell you, I built a lot of things, built stuff with John before. That's not fun. Building's not fun. Anybody build houses, you know, they're not fun. You can almost get a divorce through that. Some people go through two or three wives that way. I didn't have to build this church. The building itself was built. And, and God says, you get over this Jordan, it's milk and honey. I'm going to provide the things that you need. The first thing he provides is a building. And people look, and then the, the, the people who didn't want me to do this, and I had a bunch of them not wanting me to do this, God don't work that way, Paul. I said, I don't know about that. I, I think he works just fine any way he wants to work. You tell me where it says in this building that a person can't buy a building and start a church. Just show me and I won't do that. Well, can't just show you that, but that's not the way God works. Well, maybe God's going to work this, this way now. So he provides the building. He provides the way to buy the building, to buy it on a contract. I bought this building with, no, with no, no money down, not a credit check, not a social security number, nothing. 
Nothing but prayer. How does that happen? From people in Arkansas that I've never met except on a telephone. Everybody say, God. God. And when they called me back and said, we're going to let you do this building for $350,000 and this, this, and that, I just got there in, in, in amazement because what I thought was completely impossible just came possible. And all I did was make one phone call. John found out that somebody's cutting the grass from the barber shop over here. Can't make these things up, can you? From the barber shop. So we called the church over in 31. There was a sister church for this. And they called a guy, and Steve, a guy named Steve Sewell in Arkansas, and he calls me. That's it. The rest is history. And the church was re refinanced a few years later, and God did miracles in that, but I'm not going to go in that today. But he did miracles through that. I don't own this church. The church owns this church. God owns this church. I never wanted a building. I don't need a building this size. But that's what God asked me to do. Was it risky? Yep, it was risky. <laughs> It was $350,000 that I didn't have. It was risky, but not really. Because I believed the word of God. Amen? I believed. I never gave it the first moment thought that God was not going to work here. Right, buddy? See that old burly guy back there? You'll go a long way to find somebody that loves better than that man. Don't let his look scare you. He's nothing but a big grizzly bear but he's always with me he told me a long time ago he said God told me to take care of you Paul you know what he takes care of me he sent the hornet to fight the battles I have given you the land for which you did not labor and the cities which you did not build I didn't build Nineveh but I'm here in Nineveh he hasn't given me the city. I don't want it. I just want the people. And they're coming. I've given you the land. Okay. <clears throat> you eat of the vineyards and the olive groves, which you did not plant. You people fix some good food, don't you? You fixed it. I didn't. <laughs> it's from you. That fellowship team doesn't. Who appreciates the fellowship team? Good. They could use some more of your help. Y'all appreciate that breakfast every Sunday morning? It's good, isn't it? They can use some more of your help. Now therefore, the Lord, sir, now, for, now therefore, fear the Lord. And that fear is an awe of God, not, not to be scared of God, but an awe of God, of who he is in, in the creation, who he is in your life. Serve him sincerity. Is that the right word? Say it, everybody say that word for me. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a little... Fuzzy word, is it? Really, I'm a guy that words mean something. And sincerity, it's, it means with everything you've got. It means above all things. And in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Now he's telling these people, his love, his people that have fought all these battles, 
He's telling them this right here, that Joshua's going to die pretty soon, but he's, telling them, he's reminding them of what everything God's taken him through. He's reminding them, he says, serve the Lord. And this is the next verse of the verse that a lot of you've got on your kitchens, a lot of you've got in your houses, and here it goes, and I'm going to break it down for you a little bit. And it's, if it seems evil to serve the, Lord, choo- serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Joshua is not a dictator. He's not a demanding thing. You either do this or I'm going to have somebody kill you. You either do it my way or get out. He's not a dictator. But he's a man of truth and a man of love, and he's going to do it the way God tells him to do it. And he says, if you don't want to do it this way, you're not a child of God. Because if you're a child of God, you do it God's way. Amen? You do it God's way. Always. Not when it feels good. Not when the IRS is calling. Not when you're sick. But always. I'm tired of Christians not doing it God's way. Tired of them playing over here in the wilderness, in the desert. You look pathetic. Not you people. But you just look pathetic. As a pastor... People come to me all the time and they tell me all these things. I hear it bombards me. And all the time I'm looking at them and I hear, oh, no, no, no. God called me last week, older guy. Yeah, I know that Bible. I know that truth. I don't need to go to church though. He says, oh, that one sentence. What's he really telling me? I want to do God my way, period. That's what he's telling me. That's what I hear. Because I got that. The gift of prophecy. I'm black and white guy. I hear you don't know God. You're a fool. And you're pathetic. But I can't say it like that. But my heart knows. Oh, don't be judgmental, preacher. Don't do that. Not nice. Okay, I won't. I'll just let you go over in the wilderness and die in hell. Go ahead. It's love. Amen? God's got an attitude that sometimes looks really rough. But it's still love. Am I taking too long? And if it seems evil to you serve, to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day which you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river. I love that going back. You want to go back? Go back. Or the gods of the Amorites, the gods of the fools, the gods of the world, the gods of Hollywood, the gods of the politicians. If you want to do that, Go. But quit claiming to be a Christian when you're not. Quit hurting my Lord's name. Amen? And if you can't see the glory of God, it's your fault. And this, listen to this. I love, this is what everybody knows about this verse. But as for me and my house, what? Say it to me. Amen. And what does that mean? I see it on pictures, beautiful pictures, waterfalls is whatever, just beautiful. Me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They usually leave out the other part, but for that part, everybody knows me and my house. What does that really, what does that mean to you? What does it mean? Okay, my house, that means the building I'm living in. Amen? I'm going to get, some of you get real mad at me here in a minute, I don't care. The building you're living in, the building that your home is in, okay? That's your house. Why on earth are people living in your house living in your house that you're either helping or taking care of that won't 
come close to God. No part of church. What do you think you're doing? Do you think you're helping them? You're enabling them in their sin. You got somebody living in your house that what part of God? Then do something about it. Amen? Preacher, don't be yelling like that. Hurt my feelings. Do something about it. Get on your knees and pray. Love them. Love them more than just giving them a house. Because, see, that, that means something to me. But, but for me and my house, it means everything in it, the people that come through it, the people that live in it, we will serve the Lord. When we take in drug addicts our house, me and Vicki, over the years, so many of them, when we take them in, guess what? If they don't come to church, they don't come to my house. Oh, that's mean, preacher. Give them a little chance. Give them a little chance. No. No, they've had their chances. You give them a chance, and they'll take the world. You say, well, it may not work. It may not, but by golly, they're going to get it right when they're in my house. At least they're going to understand the truth. They can hear it. They may not accept it, but they're going to understand it. Amen? Some of them do, some of them don't. Some of them are going to live in that wilderness. Some of them never got even into the wilderness. They're still over in Egypt. But for me and my house, see, that, that has meaning to me. Does it have meaning to you? When you look at this verse the rest of your life, when you look at this verse in the pretty little verse and the pretty little houses and the pretty little pictures, and when you see that, will you look at it and say, me and my house will represent your house? Are you living the way God's asking you to in your house? Is that the way you're living? And if there's not, then I'm telling you something. I'll tell you right now. Then your house is not full of Christ the way you think it is. Amen? It's not the way God is intending it to be in your house. There's something wrong with your house. Am I telling you a lie or am I telling you the truth? Am I being hard on you or am I being loving with you? But as for me and my house, say it again, we will what? Serve the Lord. Serving the Lord is fighting the battles. And if you've got a house full of people, and some of it, I know, some of you got kids and husbands and all that, I'm not telling you to go home and yell and scream at them. I'm telling you to love them. Show them the love of Christ. Pray for them like you've never prayed before. Pray, pray with sincerity so hard, so deep, that God just penetrates their heart and opens up that heart and loves them. And they shows that love to them. And that conviction will come upon them. And they'll change their lives. Amen? I'm not telling you to be harsh with them. I'm telling you to, to be excited, to be passionate about prayer with them. To show them love. I'm way out of time. So the people, listen to me here. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And I hear that from a lot of people today. In other words, these other gods, the things that I used to love, the things that I used to fall in sin with, far be it from us to go back to that. For the Lord our God is he who brought us out and our fathers up and out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, the house of sin, the house that has enslaved you, the sin that holds you down, who did those great signs and our sign in the <clears throat> preserved us in all the ways that we went among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is what? 
I got a sign here, it's upside down, but whatever. It's a one-way sign. You people over there? If I had a mirror, I could turn this around for you, but you belong over here. Amen? Some of you over here keep trying to go back over there. And when you try to go back over the Jordan, you either got to swim or it gets kind of muddy, doesn't it? It just kind of gets muddy. In other words, it's rough. It's rough. You belong. There's one way. It's one way, and it's all heading up there. Amen? That's where we're heading. The crossing is based upon faith. It always has been, and until the day I leave or the day I die, it will always be faith. If your faith's not moving you, then your love for the world is. Go ahead, John. I'm about to close here. Let's stand, let's read this. Therefore, brethren, even more digitally to make your call and election sure. For the now let me read it. Come on up, Brooke. Therefore, brethren, be even more vigilant to make your call and election. That's your salvation. For if you do these things, you will never what? Stumble. Never stumble. Never stumble. Is that is that really possible never stumble yes it's very possible because it's said right here for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ abundantly you can have abundance in this life you can have abundance of blessings upon this life you kids up here you teenagers I think what a lot of teenagers fail is they, because they, they, they're teenagers, they really clearly don't understand, even though they know it. I was a teenager. <laughs> I'm old now. But I still have a brain that still thinks and can remember. Every, everybody here was a teenager before? Raise your hand. Look behind you. Everybody knows what you're going through. Everybody's been through high school, a lot of them have been through, they know. They know your thoughts. They can see it in your eyeballs. Your mama knows your moves. And your dad knows your attitudes. If you'll stay close to God, you won't stumble. And you think that's no good? So do they at Manual High School back in the late 60s and early 70s. Same thing hasn't changed it's your choice thank you for being part of this church over the years thank you for all the ones that do so much in the building that bless these children so much that bless my lives me and Vicki would be lost without you I hope we're here seven years from now that put me at 67 I can still preach a long time from then provided the Lord gives me the mind We've had a good run, haven't we? Let's keep running, amen? Let's keep running. Never stop, never quit, never slow down. 
Just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, and if you think I'm just an old fool, you're, you're, you're wrong, I'm not. I've been where you're at. If your pride is interrupting your soul, so did mine. It did with Bill. It did with Mike. It did with Brad. It did with Benjamin over there. But I'm telling you, God's stronger. And his love is more powerful. If you will just turn your life over to him. You ones that don't cross the Jordan, if you'll cross. Your love is going to be amazing. I'm going to open up the tables and... Jacob's going to go next door to be baptized. John Blackwell's going to help him. We actually have a camera today, I believe. Is it, is it set up? Okay. Some of you can stay in here. If somebody wants to go over and watch him, you can. But Jacob, Jacob, you'll make your way on over there. Felicity, if you take him over there. John, uh, help him out. We'll be over in just a minute. I'm going to open up the tables. Sorry I've kept you longer today. I'm going to open up the tables. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, listen to me, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you're welcome with these tables. If there's something in your life that is, is not right and you keep trying to go back to that Jordan and you're, you're just full of mud all over you because you can't get across there, and you can, it's just a muddy mess, then you're welcome with these tables, but I want you to get on your knees first and get it cleaned up. I want you to get cleaned up with God. Listen, we're running out of time. We're running out of time. We've got a community that needs Christ. We've got kids everywhere that have parents that are struggling in drugs and alcohol and the kids don't know where they're going to get fed the next day. They're everywhere. We need to wake up and supply and help what they need. Amen? It's up to you. Come before the Lord. Kneel before the Lord in the most holiness of ways and allow Him to work in your life. And watch what He does. You come. Can
in this path in his life. He's gone through a lot of odds. Odds would say he wouldn't be here, but yeah, here he is. So we look to the Lord from this day forward. We thank the Lord that Jacob's here. Jacob, have you accepted Jesus Christ in your life? Have you? We follow him the rest of your life. Then I baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'll pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for all the wonderful things that you're doing here at the crossing. And God, we just thank you for this church and the people. And God, we just pray that as we leave this place, God, we would just fill us up with your Holy Spirit and that we would go out and that we would make disciples, God, and um, bring us back next week safe, God, so that we can um, worship together. Um, it's in Jesus' name that we ask all these things. Amen. Have a great week. <laughs>